What up, folks, and welcome to another edition of the JRE Review. Today, I'm reviewing the conversation Joe had with David Wallace-Wells, podcast 1259. Um, he is an author of The Uninhabitable Earth, A Story of Climate Change, and he's come on to talk about uh, just climate change and, and what's going on. And from the sounds of the podcast, and you'll notice it, scare the shit out of Joe, too. His book, as you, you, one can imagine from the conversation he has with Joe, is uh, focused mostly on scaring the shit out of people using climate change as a dialogue and it's probably important for a few reasons one because it sells a lot of copies of a book to be kind of dramatic uh, but also it's like pointing out you know the major issues that we're up against I don't know a hundred percent about his background I was kind of looking into it I don't know exactly how uh, qualified he is to make a lot of the points that he was making. Anyway, let's start the review. Welcome to the Joe Rogan Experience Review, where each week I review every single episode of the Joe Rogan Experience. What more do you want? So one thing he talks about is there will be cities that will cook you by 2050. Right, So cities in some of the hottest parts of the world, he's saying that because of the um, average global raise in temperature, you know, one to two degrees, so on. That Now, that's an average over the whole world, but there's obviously extremes where things are getting super cold and places are getting super hot. He's saying that there will be temperatures above like 130 degrees. Uh, that sounds horrendous. But also bear in mind that when Al Gore made his movie about global warming, which was what, like almost 20 years ago, I think, um, or a little less than that. But anyway, he said that a lot of the world would be underwater already by now, and it's not quite that bad. So there seems like possibly there's a bigger buffer system in place. Does that mean we shouldn't worry about it? No, we should be concerned. Um he, he he does talk about there is hope, right, is his point. But we need to start acting on it now. So he says that there's machines that can take carbon out of the atmosphere for about $100 a ton, right? So it could take a lot of almost all of the carbon out of the atmosphere for about $3 trillion. Sounds like a ton of money, but I guess we're already subsidizing um, industry upwards of like $5 trillion. So there's a way to pay for it, and, and, it, and it can be fixed, right? So technology might be able to sort this out for us. It just can't get so far that the temperature is so high that we're, we're just doomed, right? This is kind of where, where David's coming from with that. And he's saying we need to act now. Um, so think about that with your recycling. But there were a ton of really interesting facts that he put, well, I say facts, but things that he was laying down, I don't know if they're, entirely correct but um if they are it really makes you think about it so he was saying that half the carbon that we put out um in the atmosphere ever like humans ever put out happened in the last 30 years so pretty much everyone that's listening to this about that age that's our lifetime so in our lifetime half the carbon ever was put out right and uh 
what we're going to do moving forward is the key to this, right? And he, and he said that there's some major issues with these temperature ranges increasing. And, and it's not just that, oh, the, all the ice will melt, uh, methane will get released. It will continue at a faster and faster rate. And all these this higher temperature is going to change our ecosystem in a really dramatic way. Weather's going to get a lot worse, so on. Something he was saying, the babies in the womb don't develop properly. When they're in the womb, if, they're, if the mother's in temperatures that are over 90 degrees. So this is obviously going to affect people in very hot climates and, you know, mothers that are trying to stay cool. Because really, not everyone has air conditioning in the world. You know, not everyone's able to keep these temperatures cooler. And he's saying that it's only only about two degrees hotter in general really fucks things up. I think what's difficult for people to understand, especially me, when I think of these things, is like two degrees doesn't seem like a lot at all. And what I mean by that is, think about it. Basically, what's happening is, you know, in the morning, it's cooler. And then by midday, early afternoon, it's it's hot. And then by the evening again, it's cold. And there could be a, a temperature change of like 20 degrees. And that's just in one day. So when you hear overall, it's only two degrees, you're like, how can that make such a big effect? And it's still really difficult for me to wrap my head around. But I think globally, it's just a question of like, you know, a lot of algae will grow. And then that causes this to happen and that to happen. And it's a chain reaction event right and it's accumulative over time so just two degrees can make a lot more ice melt and and it's something you know that you think about but like individually what can we do like my girlfriend is always wanting me to recycle everything and sometimes i think hang on all right so we're recycling some bottles and things but what fucking difference is that making you know we still drive cars we still go on flights we still do things like this well one thing that david was saying is Every time you fly, just one time, fly in a plane, and I guess it does depend on how far you fly, but he doesn't really specify distance. He says that that's like driving a car for eight months. Well, that's substantial. Eight months, so you could be an Uber driver for eight months, and then also you could be a person that doesn't even have a car, and then you go ahead and fly once, and that's it. That's eight months of pollution. Uh, It just seems... That seems crazy, but I mean, if you think about it, the planes are massive. Now, is he counting your portion of the plane? I mean, obviously, if there's 200 people on there, you need to divide that um, fuel uh, pollution by 200 times. Who knows? He doesn't really get into like what numbers he's picking, and I'm sure in some ways he's he's cherry-picking to make it seem more dramatic possibly than it is. Maybe not. Who knows? But it would make sense that he would do that because the more shocking these things sound, the better they stick in your mind. And then you start thinking, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do as an individual to kind of help this? An interesting point that he brought up, something that really stuck with me, is that not every country will be negatively impacted, right? So countries at the equator for sure are going to be fucked with this. Shit's going to get too hot. It's going to be a mess. But places like Russia necessarily it's gonna it won't be necessarily all that bad it might actually be beneficial for example their agriculture uh, may improve so temperatures in areas that are usually kind of permafrost or frozen uh, will now be good for um, agriculture for farming for growing food and uh, 
producing different types of crops. And when you look at the size of Russia, it's a massive place. A lot of it really isn't usable for agriculture because it's so cold so much of the time. But if the temperature heats up and they start to get better rainfall, it's going to work in their benefit. You know, so why are they going to give a shit? They want to improve their power. They're going to keep pumping out as much carbon emissions as they possibly can. And uh, that's kind of interesting because even if you believe in it, you know, well, my point is, I think that the way Russia is supposedly been fucking with our elections, imagine if they now start pushing out the agenda that global warming isn't real, like plenty of Americans already believe, and they kind of add to it, knowing full well that it, that it is, or whether they believe it is, just because they know it overall benefits them, and they're trying to get Americans on their side. I mean, that's a sneaky, tricky, you know, bullshit move, but you'd imagine they'd be up to it. If they're willing to mess with our elections, that might be something that they'd think about. And and not to mention all those terrible things, some of the the last major points that uh, David was bringing up that I, that I really enjoyed too, well, I enjoyed them because they were interesting. I didn't like the idea of it happening, but he's saying that bacteria and diseases are kind of frozen in ice, in the permanent ice, right? So when the ice starts to melt... Uh, these this bacteria and diseases can be released and start killing things. Uh, it gives the example of some some animal that had anthrax, and uh, it, when it froze out, some deer, some kid died, right? So who knows if that would be happening a bunch, but it could, right? Things could be released, and it's something to think about. I'd never heard that dialogue really put out before, and he's saying that it could be like ancient bacterias and diseases that we're not used to that could start affecting us. Um, I don't know how true that is, and I don't know what his background and understanding of this is. I would assume that if it's like an ancient bacterial disease, because we evolved through those times, even though we haven't been exposed to it recently, our immune system should be better at dealing with that. But I don't know. Who knows? These things are are not what I understand all that well. Um, But also, he said that uh, there was some example of a deer or some sort of creature that went completely extinct recently, and it's been around for hundreds of thousands of years, because something in its stomach bacteria changed, and they think it might be to do with overall temperature. And some some like stomach flora bacteria that live just fine inside this creature for you know many thousands of years, all of a sudden changed and wiped that whole species out. Now, obviously... That's an extreme example, but maybe extreme temperature changes globally could destabilize those sorts of things. Stomach bacteria changes and we're susceptible to it. And all of a sudden, good bacteria becomes bad bacteria. That could be a really big problem, too. The only issue is I've never heard of anything like that. I've never heard of anything being referenced like that or any major concern. So I'd like to know more about it. But it makes you think, you know. In some ways, though, the big takeaway for me uh, from this is that David said overall he hasn't really changed his carbon usage habits, right? He, you know, it's not like he's recycling more, driving less and not flying at all, which would make more sense. He's just writing books and getting the word out there. He thinks it's more to do with like government and policy on a big scale than it is what individuals can do because the impact is, is so minor when when you change things just yourself but 
in a way, I think that's kind of hypocritical a little bit, right? I mean, you should just at least do your part there, even if it doesn't do a lot, but it's just a habit, you know? You're making a, a point that you give a shit. Um, I don't know, you know? it's If this is, like, the the thing that the rock he wants to die on or whatever that expression is, then maybe he should represent it a little differently. But either way, I found the conversation fascinating. I learned a lot from it. I want to look into it a bit more because it sounds scary and I don't want the next 30 years living on this planet being a fucking disaster. So we'll find out. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it's not as scary as he's been saying. But thanks a lot for tuning in, guys. I really appreciate it. Peace.